Hey, this is Keith. Or some actor playing Keith, I'm not really sure anymore. But um, we're coming to the end. The end of my Los Angeles con spree. But before I leave, I have some scores to set and discover a couple truths to be revealed. It's all going to come down to the season finale of Rideshare Episode X. It's going to drop on December 3rd. Now, until then, I want you to catch up by binge listening the first season. And I suggest that you do exactly as I say. Or you're going to miss all the fun. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Everybody and welcome back to your favorite G.I. Joe podcast show here in the year 2020 and beyond. This is Knowing is Half the Podcast, and I am Ray Stacanus. I'm Robert Clark Chan. I'm Gina Ippolito. Why are these Chan, questions? Why was that a question? <laughs> because did you just make that up? Is that a thing that what, what did I, 2020 I already and forgot beyond? what I said, so you're gonna need to help me out. Never mind, never mind. Don't care. Not important. <laughs> Uh, well, we are, you know, normally we would be here breaking down an episode of G.I. Joe, and I hope you guys have been enjoying the Series 2 Deke episodes because we, we haven't. We have not at all. No, they've been <laughs> they've been remarkably uh, upsetting and 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 not not to my liking. But there were there was a, a shining light in the darkness that there, were the last two episodes that we did. And who wrote those? And Ray? Who, who wrote those? Why somebody we've praised over the last two episodes named Christy Marks, who uh, has written tons and tons of stuff everywhere. It man, if only we could talk to here by <laughs> via Skype. <laughs> Is writer extraordinaire Christy Marks. Hello, everybody. Hello. Oh my goodness. I mean, was that the worst transition in the history of it was, anything? It was what I've come to expect from you, Ray. Oh, so I'm par. <laughs> you yep. set new bars every week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Christy, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Absolutely. Now, uh, I, I still, as I warned you guys, I mean, I'm, I'm still amazed anybody wants to talk about the Deke G.I. Joes. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. We're kind of making them do that. Yeah, yeah. But it serves as a nice as a nice uh, reminder of how good original series G.I. Joe yeah, was. Yeah, we look back. I mean, look, I already looked back at the Sunbow era with, with just rose-colored glasses. Having now seen this again, because I saw it when it first came out, but sort of, you know, uh, blocked the it Deke out. The Deke series. You're talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I really look back and with rosier colored glasses, if that's even possible. At the original series. Yes, yes. Quite the quite the difference in quality. <laughs> yeah, as- because I, I, loved, I loved working on the original series because it was Sunbow Productions and Sunbow Productions was about quality and they treated writers very, very well, and they were wonderful people to work with, you know, just absolutely wonderful people. And it was also my introduction to um, Steve Gerber, who was the story editor I worked with, and then Steve and I ended up becoming very dear friends, and um, that's one wonderful treasure that I take away from all of that. That's great. We were When we were just watching the two Deke episodes that you wrote, 
we were amazed at how because over the Deke over the Deke era, the characters got sort of weirdly they were doing things that were very out of character. Destro was a very deferential weirdly wimpy character and then yeah. your episodes brought us back to how they how we felt like they were supposed to be <laughs> from the original it was really really like you, you nailed their voices versus the other episodes <laughs> from the Deke era where we were like who are these characters it's almost like you knew how to write these characters correctly <laughs> and could demonstrate it for us all Oh wow, that's odd. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I here's the thing. I what I thought happened because it is so weird that there are these just two episodes out of the entire series so far that uh, there's just a stark difference in quality. Um, like, did they ask you to be part of that transition from Sanbo to Deke? Are these episodes that you had written for the old Sunbow that you just like tossed at them? Were you actually involved in the making of those two episodes? Well, no. What actually happened, <laughs> I mean, this this Deke ep- uh, series came along, I forget how long after um, the Sunbow series stopped. I mean, I think there was some there were some years in between there, but I'm not absolutely sure. Yeah, like but basically, I, I had become uh, friends with Doug Booth, who uh, wrote a lot of, you know, a lot of shows for Sunbow. And. And then Doug took the job of story editor for the Deke series. And so Doug called me up one day and he was pretty desperate <laughs> to, yeah. get, to get some good writers onto this this series. And the, the problem was that Deke, who within the animation business, we always referred to Deke, D-I-C, as do it cheap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that holds up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so that was their nickname. And sure enough, they were paying significantly less than what Sunbow paid for the G.I. Joe episodes. And I said, you know, I, I don't want to work for that money. And Doug made his, kept making his case, and I realized that he really, really wanted to get, <laughs> you know, a real Joe writer onto this series. And, and so finally more out of friendship for him than anything else, (laughs) I said, okay, you know, I'll write you one or whatever, but you may not ever, ever tell anybody that I wrote the scripts for this price. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just never tell anybody because you know, it's so cheap um, (laughs) that that would be bad for my reputation. So (laughs) this all makes sense to me because I mean, Doug Booth did, he wrote the uh, operation dragon fire five part miniseries, which opened uh, season one of uh, Deke uh, GI Joe. And this, your two episodes happen almost at the very end of season one. So I can see where he's like, I'm running out of time. I've only got so many episodes to go. If we can get a couple of good ones before the end of the season, this is good for us all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was there more than one season? There were two seasons. Oh, okay. I, as you can tell, I really did not pay a lot of attention to the series because as soon as I heard that Deke was doing it, it was like, why would I be interested? <laughs> yeah. Remarkably, that's exactly what Robert Clark Chance said about doing it as well. If Dick's yeah. doing it, why would we be interested? When we had yeah, Buzz on, when we had Buzz on, he compared it to a pyramid scheme. He said that they were that Deke was sort of known for 
uh, lowering the budget on a show and then borrowing the budget from their next show to pay for the first show and then constantly coming in at lower and lower quotes so that they could keep selling things. So it just turned into a big, just turned into a big pyramid scheme. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I mean, and and I'd love to talk about kind of all of it. So if we can just uh, maybe just take a quick step back to the Sunbow era and maybe work our way back to the two episodes we just talked about. Um, But I'd love to hear about like how you first started uh, getting involved in Sunbow because you wrote and I had it wrong in the previous episode. I had you down as having written four episodes of uh, Sunbow G.I. Joe, but the answer was five. The document I was using was wrong and they robbed you of one. And I'm going to have stern words with that Wikipedia page. I'm very angry about because you wrote um, the two two parters, the uh, uh, Captives of Cobra and the Synthoid Conspiracy. I'm telling you this like you didn't know, (laughs) but for the people at home. Uh, and then you also wrote the Countdown to Zartan episode, which is also super, super fun. Uh-huh. And it was the first aired episode of G.I. Joe Sunbow after the Pyramid of Darkness miniseries. Again, for the people at home, I know you know. <laughs> um, but how did this all come about? And uh, you know, how did you get involved in this project? Well, I, I had previously been writing for um, Marvel Productions, and I had been writing on a number of superhero shows, um, you know, Spider-Man and Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and and um, had gained an agent named Candy Montero, and Candy was the first and only agent at the time who was clever enough to start representing animation writers. Wow. And and so consequently, she pretty much had all the animation writers in town locked up. In fact, we, we jokingly referred to ourselves as Candy's stable. <laughs> and and so consequently, if somebody wanted to hire animation writers, they contacted Candy. So I had come off of all this work for Marvel Productions. I'd, I'd done some development work for them and, you know, quite quite a number of different things. But I had... I had left them and was kind of open for something new. And uh, and so Sunbow Productions came to Candy to find writers. And knowing that I was this action-adventure writer, uh, she set up a meeting for me with the Sunbow people. They were out, out from New York, and, and so we sat, and I lived in L.A. at the time. So uh, I went into a meeting with them and, and chatted, and they were just really delightful people, and we hit it off really well. And then they said, well, we, we pay $6,000 an episode. Is that okay with you? And I almost fell off the sofa <laughs> because you have to understand animation writing just did not pay for shit. Yeah. I'd, hopefully this language is okay. Oh, this oh, yeah. language is fine. We often find ourselves uh, cursing up a storm yes. at some of the things we see, but especially back, in the back D-care. then, Back then in those days, you know um, – animation writing did not pay very well at all. And so what they were offering was, you know, at least twice what other places were offering. And so it took all of my self-control to just, just kind of sit there and go, yes, I I think that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And and so consequently, uh, I went through the usual process. I, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but you get the Bible. They send you the Bible that has the all of the information about the show, about the characters, about. And in the case of GI Joe, it was this massive three-ring binder because it had bios for all of the characters, and then it had all the weapons, and then it had all the vehicles, and you know, I mean, there was just like a, a ton 
uh, of information to absorb through all of this. Yeah, I bet. And, and the way Sunbow did it is that they they didn't tell you a particular premise, but what they said was, we want an episode that features these characters, these weapons, and these vehicles. And then you had to come up, or in my case, I had to come up with a pitch that would incorporate those characters, those weapons, and those vehicles, you know, however I wanted to work it as long as they were in there. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like a fantastic uh, exercise. You know, sometimes the most fun with writing can be having to deal with limitations (laughs) and make it work. It's almost like a puzzle at that point. Oh, we'll we'll get back to that again when we talk about Deke. But anyway, (laughs) um, yeah, so, so that, that was not so much a limitation as just like, oh, okay, um, something that would be good for these particular characters. And uh, so I came up with some pitches, and one of the pitches was uh, an idea that I called Divide and Conquer, and that was what ended up becoming uh, Countdown to Zartan. So that was the very first Joe script that I wrote. Oh, cool. And um, Steve Gerber paid me a tremendous compliment. After After I turned the script in, he said, I think this is the first script I've ever gotten that I didn't have to do anything to it. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. Didn't have to make any changes, didn't have to rewrite it. He said it was just there, (laughs) which was a a very nice compliment. Yeah, very cool. And, of course, I really enjoyed writing that stuff because I've I've always been very much into action-adventure sort of writing. And so they were so happy with that script that that's when they gave me the opportunity to do these two-parters. Heck yeah. And so then these two, two, both of these two parts, and one of the things we really loved about uh, Sunbow G.I. Joe in particular, not so much the later stuff, but is the world building that happens. And the fact uh-huh. that this world is already so big to begin with, you'd think, why would you want to build out this world any bigger? And yet there are so many little details and flourishes and what have you. And, and the episodes, as you wrote, especially uh, thinking back to the Captives of Cobra episode, because you got to add family members to all these, what is it, like 11 or 13 uh, family members of these handful of Joe characters and, and to what... Gina here was talking about, you know, the Scarlet's brothers running a dojo in in Atlanta is just such a memorable thing. And it it makes such perfect sense for the character. Um, Maybe you could go into just a little bit of detail about how you, you know, uh, look at world building uh, and specifically in how you did it for G.I. Joe. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been someone who loves to think about backstory and uh, and. You know, I love to do world building, and and there's only a certain amount of it you could do in G.I. Joe because so much of it was already there in place. Uh-huh. But yes, I I just loved the idea of delving into where did these characters come from, you know, and, and why would they end up the way they were? Uh, uh, and that was what I loved about, like, coming up with Scarlet's family. Well, of course, why else would she come out the way she was <clears throat> except for she has this whole family of father and brothers and... <laughs> you know, was raised uh, in martial arts and, and raised with these skills and abilities. And um, and then I was thinking about the, the character, uh, you'll have to excuse me because it's been a lot of years. Sure, sure. Thund- <laughs> Thunder, was that his name? Thunder, absolutely. He was, the, uh, yeah, he was the guy who played heavy metal drums. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. so I, I, I thought about him and I thought, okay, now what kind of family would he come from? And I thought, <laughs> how, how funny would it be if... His whole family was like that. Everybody was just loud, you know, <laughs> and used to making a big racket, and that's simply the way they were. And and so, I, you know, it was that kind of a process of just saying, hmm, you know, what 
what would lead to these people being the way they were? What would be interesting? What would like bolster the the story of, of the type of character they were? And um, and so just went from there. Yeah, it was great because I feel like so rarely in cartoons, especially sort of back then, would you get those kinds of backstories. It's usually just the story of the week of the characters everyone has seen. So it was a very cool thing to see of these characters that you've already sort of known and where they come from. So, yeah, well done. Yeah, and it was a bit dicey because, of course, you know, once once you have your villains gaining this information... It's like, well, how do you make sure that that's never an issue in the future? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, down, down the road. And so you have to really kind of finagle it so that the make sure the information gets destroyed at the end. Or, you know, there's no way that this could ever be used against them again. Because that was like the one tricky part about it, really. Yeah. I also feel like that's the kind of stuff that they only thought about in the Sunbow episodes <laughs> and not in the yeah. Deke episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's, you know, and one of the other things about that particular uh, two-part episode is kind of the moral dilemmas that the characters involved. And we're talking about, you know, 1985, where cartoons were not necessarily complicated. You know, a lot of the, it's just like, here's your muscle-bound hero. Here's your uh, evil, evil villain. They're going to punch each other a few times. There's going to be some sort of machine we have to blow up. Yeah. And that's every He-Man episode, basically, of that era. Maybe not every one of them, but that's a lot of them from yeah. that era. Uh, and, but here you but actually really, have. Yeah. I, I have to take, I have to, to, to stop you on that because. Yes. It really depends on who was working on it. Sure. You know, who was writing it and then who was. And, and we were very lucky because the people at Samba were wonderful. As I said, they yes. were just terrific people to work for. But, you know, the great blessing of having someone like Steve Gerber. You know, and, and I, if you're familiar with Steve Gerber at oh, all, yes. his, his work in comics, I mean, Steve was just just fantastic. It was a great story editor, but, you know, he was someone that, that cared about the quality of the show. And, and there were other shows at the time that had good quality people working on them who, tr- you know, really did try to bring more depth mm-hmm. and more of that sense of moral center to these shows. Yep. So. So there were it it was out there. Sure, and I'm and I'm uh, uh, undercomplicating it quite a bit just for the purposes of effect. But but basically, you put the, the the Joe team in that episode in a situation where do we fire upon our family who are trying yeah. to kill us, even though we're not sure we can bring them back from the hypnosis? And it's just that type of a moral thing. Is when you're a kid, especially you know, an eight year old Ray watching this episode, yeah. like that's the stuff that like stayed with me for quite a bit. Like, well, what? What do you do in that situation? That is a rough place to be. And I suppose what I'm trying to say is other shows of that era, uh, of that time period, don't necessarily make you think about Shades of Grey hard choices like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's some sort of, there's a mashup on YouTube of sort of the darkest moments of of original G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah? And they're really, it's really interesting and fascinating to watch because, yeah, they weren't sort of afraid of, you know, they they didn't always like dumb it down for kids. And it was, it was a lot, especially when compared to the Deke era ones. They weren't afraid to say, like, all right, this is going to get complicated. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, we still had to be very, very careful that there were certain words that were forbidden. You couldn't mm. use death. You couldn't use die. If, if you've ever wondered why villains always say stuff like, 
annihilate them, <laughs> destroy them, is because you can't say kill them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you, there were words you couldn't use. And you may have also noticed that no matter how big the explosion was that blew up something, anybody that was in it got out alive. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, no. They all parachuted or they're in the water or whatever. But, you know, there, there was a very strict ethos about... You don't kill anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Even the yeah. bad guys don't really die. <laughs> that messed me up for a long time because I can remember uh, watching kind of uh, war movies like Platoon and what have you <laughs> and not understanding, well, why don't they just run away? Wait, when you were eight years old, you were watching Platoon? It was, a few, it was a few years later. I still had these questions. <laughs> Did you, uh, w- w- were there any sort of off limits uh, um, areas that you ran into when you were uh, doing gem? Were there like, like topics that uh, were weren't allowed? Yeah, I mean, Jim, we actually did get to do an awful lot of really cool stuff, you know. And I I did episodes that dealt with runaways, and one of the other writers, you know, did this sort of anti drug episode, which mm-hmm. I thought. Anyway, um, <laughs> big in the eighties. Big in the eighties. There, there was one outline I submitted that I really wanted to do about a kid having to deal with an alcoholic father. Oh. And and they wanted me to soften it up to the point where it really didn't, you know, it just there was no point in doing it anymore uh-huh. if I couldn't do it the way I wanted to do it. So I I abandoned that one. But but very, very rarely did we get that kind of pushback on anything. They were, they were, um, Hasbro was quite supportive, and, and Sunvo, again, you know, were just wonderful to work with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've, so I've worked in animation in the past few years and have very frequently been the only woman in the room. So what was the makeup like back then? Because I imagine, especially with action writing and animation, there probably weren't too many women doing it back then. Yeah, not too many. And uh, I was considered something of a unicorn. Um, <laughs> you know, it definitely was considered kind of cool and unusual yeah. to have, have a woman writing action adventure. Um, it's funny you would we, say that because Gina writes on the unicorn on CBS. <laughs> How weird. Right. I do, I do. <laughs> Cross promotion. I, I mean, yeah. we kind of put it out there. <laughs> But that's very that's very cool. As soon as you said that that's what you were known for and you were coming from Marvel, it's it is sort of a double animation didn't slash doesn't have a lot of women and action didn't slash doesn't have a lot of women. So yeah, I can see how you would be a huge commodity. Yeah, and, and there were there were some other women too, but um if, if looking at all of the credits for Joe, but mm-hmm. uh None of us were ever really in the same room together. You have to understand because we were all 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 over the place. Even mm-hmm. maybe maybe some within the general area of L.A. and some in L.A. But I was living about an hour and a half outside of L.A. Hour and a half drive <laughs> outside of L.A. At that point. So it's like what Santa Monica? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I was up in the mountains, uh, Wrightwood, which oh, is heck a little, yeah. little, Very little cool. ski resort town. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. If yeah, you can, if you cool. can make that work, more power to you. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, managed. But you know, so so we didn't always. We weren't like all of us sitting in the same room necessarily, but we did get together enough to become friends and develop friendships and get to know one another. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's very cool. Do you still keep in contact with any of them? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. There's quite a few people that, that I'm still at least somewhat in touch with or Facebook friends with. Or uh-huh. Uh-huh. You don't have to tell you don't have to actually answer this if it's too private. Is there a private <laughs> Facebook group for G.I. Joe writers? Oh, that would be great. <laughs> and if so, please put me please let me in. Yeah. <laughs> It's, not that I know of. Oh, so you just won't tell us. That's fine, and I, I, I respect your privacy on this matter. <laughs> we're we're all Facebook friends with Buzz, so we we like everything he posts. <laughs> yeah, yes. but Buzz is a good Buzz is a good guy. You know, Buzz and I have been friends for you know just forever. And yeah, sure. Oh, that's he's great. great. I, I Steve Gerber, we lost tragically, yeah. and mm-hmm. just miss him all the time. Yeah. You know, but but a lot of the other people are still out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and we keep trying to find them. <laughs> and of course, you know, you know, um, also very tragic end that Roger Slifer had. Yes, Roger was quite significant uh, at Sunbow, and you know, writing and also story editing, and what happened to him was just incredibly tragic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Which, uh, for those who don't know, is yeah. he got hit by a hit and run driver. Left him severely brain damaged, and he eventually succumbed uh, to those injuries. Well, I wasn't going to say terrible. it out loud, but <laughs> no, that's just terrible. So people, just people might be wondering. Yeah, yes. yeah. I'll just say it absolutely. was very tragic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, so uh, to lighten the mood a little bit uh, now, because uh, I, I just have so many questions about so many things that you've written about. But where did the idea of the synthoids come in? Uh, because you're the one, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's your thing, and it was so big they started bringing it back for later episodes as plot points. Uh, how do you even come up with something like that? Yeah, very cool, very cool story. Um, yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you sit down, they tell you, use these characters and this and this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and um, and you just sit down and start coming up with ideas. So yeah. You know, I don't really remember the process behind it. Sure. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, uh, can you answer a question? Are the synthoids made of bubble gum and potato chips? <laughs> this is a this is this is a thing we've been back and forth on a lot of times yeah, on the show. Yeah. When we when we saw them animated, it and and when they turned to that grayish goo, uh, when we first watched it, I said, "Oh, that's what it looks like when you chew bubble gum with potato bubble chips." Bubble gum with potato <laughs> chips is it turns into this sort of disgusting goo. Was that the inspiration <laughs> for synthoids? We can finally get the answer. <laughs> Please just say yes, even if it's not true. No, I can't say yes to that one. <laughs> but so now, when you, when you, when we were watching the two Deke episodes that you wrote, which were the Mind Mangler and yeah. Bayok, uh, they were both so cool. And one of the one of the coolest things about the mind mangler was it was the first time that I was fooled. Yes. By we discussed this. It was the first time that I was fooled by a G.I. Joe character uh uh in a mask being being another character that I didn't sort of realize early on, oh, this is Zorana in a mask. And I thought that that was very cool the way you the way you did that. 
uh, yeah, because so many times, and this is just the trope of GI Joe, is a new character, especially a female character, shows up in any kind of position of authority whatsoever. Immediately we go, well, is this Zorana or the Baroness? Because yeah, yeah. it's always one of the two. And this particular, and it took the till the Deke era of the Mind Mangler episode that we were introduced to the daughter of the Mind Mangler helping Duke escape uh-huh. with overtones of the original. Um, G.I. Joe, you know, Sunbow, Duke is saved by the, the slave girl, for lack of a better term. And so it's sort of like hearkening in shades of that. So I didn't think even think to question it in the moment. Yeah, and we did not we did not see the twist coming, and it was sort of the first time that a, a, a Deke-era show was not just sort of very straightforward yeah. and and, you know, opening with sort of action and then ending with... The good guys winning. This was this was there were some twists and turns in there that were very cool. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I swear to God, I have not thought about these episodes since I wrote them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So I don't even remember the twists and turns. You're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, just just to lay it out there, and maybe it'll refresh the memory a little bit. But uh, we're introduced to uh, a character. Duke is captured and taken in by a character named the Mind Mangler, mm-hmm. who is putting him through this psychological torture to try to get the interior of Joe Base, which was a little weird. But you know, we're going with it. And so the whole time he's uh, Duke's being uh, uh, attended to by this girl who says, I'm the mind mangler's daughter and I want to escape. Oh, he's coming. And then she runs away. And then like, you know, a little bit later that she'll come back again. Like, okay, we're going to get you out of here. And eventually she escapes with Duke. Uh, away from the mind mangler and gets into Joe base where now she can rain havoc and do all kinds of really bad yeah. things because the mind mangler isn't even real. He's a robot. Yeah. So it was all, it was all a misdirect sort of until, until close to the third act, until the third act, where, yeah. where you realize, Oh, this was the mind mangler was a misdirect. And, and the actual one to look out for was the daughter who was Zorana in disguise. And it was a very cool twist. Well, I am just incredibly clever. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, wow, what a really clever thing I came up with. (laughs) Uh, The second episode, uh, Bayok, I I took special note because it was the first time in 20-some-odd episodes where the voice cast sounded like they gave a shit at all uh, and beca- uh, it was it was just like like the words were fun and then there was the character of the uh the AI who was trying to take over the world um that I I finally felt like somebody was like oh my god we have real words and they got to play with that which was yeah. very enjoyable it it helped uh, keep us from from sort of wishing we were dead that we got those two nice nice episodes <laughs> right right towards the end of the of the first season <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, I, I I think I don't know um, I guess this was a fairly early use of something like AI like this yeah I think. I know that when I was writing um, for Spider-Man and his amazing friends in the early 70s mm-hmm. that, or excuse me, in the late 70s, um, that I introduced a video game character, you uh-huh. know, well well before video games were a real thing. I mean, mostly there was Pong and <laughs> a few things in the arcade and I came up with this video game character and then you know, years, decades later, I'm working at Zynga as a game designer and narrative <laughs> designer. 
And and Zynga had they had their own building and they had this cafe area where they fed everybody and a giant immense screen, video screen that took up just this whole wall, this gigantic. And I come down one day and there they are playing the my video man. I thought, wow, this this is incredibly ironic and what a <laughs> cycle of, you know, from back then creating this video game care and now here I am, you know, I've be- become a game designer and I'm yeah. working on all these games. Oh my like, God, that's so cool. That's so cool. It was interesting. You, yeah, you. It, it feels like uh, uh, technology has had a big influence on uh, the stuff you've uh, done. But like, you got started like selling a Conan story to Roy Thomas, weren't it? Right. Yeah. Like, were were you a fa- like more of a fantasy person uh, growing up, or was it all of the fantasy, sci-fi, all the stuff that became just genre eventually? I, I first became completely and utterly obsessed with comics uh, when I was a child. Uh, I mean, complete obsession and just collected every single comic book I could get my hands on. At that time, mostly it was the DC. So it was, you know, Superman and Lois Lane and Batman and, you know, all, all of those really early books. And then when Marvel appeared suddenly it was like, oh, wow, you know, Marvel's amazing. And so then I started collecting all the Marvel comics. So I I grew up with a passion and obsession for comic books, which all and also being just um, a voracious reader, I also became obsessed with science fiction and reading science fiction and later, a little bit later fantasy. And, you know, I was very, very much into reading all of that. So I, you know, I've, I've steeped in love for genre um and getting touching upon the um the question of technology also uh one of the interesting things about working on gi joe when i started working for steve gerber steve gerber said if you want to write for this show you have to write on a computer Mm. because prior to that everything i had done had been on a on a typewriter Mm -hmm. But they, but the requirement was okay. You, you're going to have to do this on a computer. <clears throat> so I had to go out, buy a computer, which was <laughs> a K Pro 10, which was like one of the first hard drives. It had now get ready, guys. <laughs> Hold on. Oh it had a 10 megabyte hard drive. <laughs> and uh, it ran on a program called CPM because this was before. Microsoft was invented. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to learn how to use a computer. I had to learn how to use the word processing program, which at the time was uh, WordPerfect, uh-huh. the early version of WordPerfect. And I had to learn all of this and and write the script all <laughs> at once. <laughs> oh my god! All at the same time, and I I um I tended to write late into the night. You know, like and go to bed maybe two, three, or four in the morning or something. You know, very, I get very, it. I get it. Very <laughs> vampiric, you know. Yeah. And there was one night that I was up. <clears throat> might even have been the first script. I'm not sure, but I had been up all night writing this. And these these scripts at the time were running sixty and sixty five pages long, like long. Good wow! Words. Wow! And I I had just finished the script. Oh no. Oh God. 
Yeah, and oh, no. the computer crashed. Oh. And it was due. One of the reasons that was up all night because it was due. Like, oh, that next no. day or so. And so, I, you know, as soon as the sun came up, I, I had to rush my computer down to the guy that sold it to me. And he managed to recover everything but oh, about wow. the last five pages. And that's Ooh. when I learned about saving your world, <laughs> oh, yeah. which no one had ever told me about. Uh-huh. Oh my so gosh. I rewrote the last five pages and turned it in. But the thing was that because of Steve, <clears throat> I transitioned to doing everything in the computer. Uh-huh. I had to learn how to use a modem and a bulletin board system because he was having people send their scripts in by modem. So that was the, that was you know a lot of the uh, the eighties and nineties that because there was no grant for the kids at home. There was no grand internet. There was no Googles, and everything was a BBS <laughs> system. I used to run one when I was in early high school uh-huh. uh, in the early nineties, right around the time GI Joe series two was going on. Guys, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, and, I mean, and there, was no world, there was no world wide web. There nothing. Was no you know, there it was, was your, just text. It was just like green letters on a black screen. Yeah, yeah. And if you had like one yeah. friend who like had access to the quote unquote internet, you know, they they would come back with treasures. <laughs> it was, they, they were like pirates on the high seas coming back with gold doubloons. <laughs> but I mean, you know, we, you started out with like a three hundred baud modem. Yep. And then it went to a 1200 baud modem and a 2400 baud modem. And it was like, oh, my God, this is getting faster and faster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what's next? Cable modem? No. <laughs> so because of Steve and because of G.I. Joe, I was way ahead of the curve on working with computers and 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 the technology of it. So that all of that kind of leads up to, you know, thinking about things like AI and and technology and so forth. So, yeah, so you think that just awesome. being at the, the forefront and cutting edge of the at the time technology kind of like led you to be kind of leaning in that direction of thinking, well, what comes after this, mm-hmm. which directly leads to a script like Bioc? Uh, maybe not directly, but certainly it certainly helped to shape my interests. Absolutely. I mean, I, I already was was fascinated by computers even before that I, I went to the University of Illinois briefly and of course that's where Univac was developed and I, I would hear about it I never got to see it but I you know, would hear about it and uh, and then when I was in LA and I I had a particular I had a friend who was always very much ahead of the curve on this stuff and, and so I was visiting him one time and he was showing me this computer that he had you know it was like one of the very first home personal type of computers and he was like watch this you can do a search and replace (laughs) (laughs) he went through and did you know changed a character's name and i was like i've got to have (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that is like the best thing i've ever seen in my life god (laughs) bless you control h typing something and you want to change the name of a character you got to retype the whole thing yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You got to get that special cartridge and put it in the typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> so you can erase all the Charlies. Not that I've been there before. <laughs> you know, and of course that also mean, meant that that I was ahead of the curve and and made it really possible for me to become a game designer too. So yeah, let's talk about awesome. that a little bit because um, I'm only really, and, and forgive me, but I'm much more familiar with the work you did in animation and even some of these obscure episodes I want to ask about uh, obscure shows. I want to ask about in a little bit, but talk to us about game design. Cause uh, I work in the world of video games 
uh, for um, a few different studios uh, over my, over the last few years, and I'm just absolutely fascinated by all the intricacies of what goes into game design. And I would love to hear about what your experiences with that medium have been so far. Well, I had an extraordinary opportunity that got me into game design. I, I was um, this was in 1988, and I was at the time married to an Australian artist named Peter Ledger. And, and one day this headhunter called up from Sierra Online. Now, Sierra Online was oh. like one of, the, one of the very first companies that started making graphic, graphical computer games, adventure games. Yeah. yeah. And um, they, were, they were located in a town called Oakhurst, which is just outside of Yosemite Park. So it was a beautiful little town, but it was like away from anything, basically, you know. The closest city down the hill a ways was Fresno. So, you know, it wasn't exactly a hot spot for technology. <laughs> Not and Fresno? So they, they were really hungry to try to find, uh, they were looking for an artist. And we were in the middle of a long extended writer's strike at the time. And so it was really dry. There was not, not any uh -huh, work out there. Uh -huh. So when they called to talk to Peter, I said, well, do you need writers? <laughs> <laughs> and they went, well, yeah, sure. We'd love to talk to <laughs> because at the time, you got to have to understand that they could hire anybody to design a game because nobody knew how. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You know, there was there was nothing established. It was the very, very beginning. It was the Wild West. And so Peter and I drove up there and had a meeting with with um, Ken and Roberta Williams. And by the end of the meeting, we had to deal with them to to come up and create a game for them. And it was the Conquest of Camelot game, King Arthur game. Peter did the artwork. I did all the game design and I had to teach myself how to design a computer game, which I basically did by sitting down and playing every Sierra game that had ever been made and playing and playing and playing <laughs> and trying to, you know, to get a sense of, you know, what was this? What could we do? You know, what was it about? Try to get the player's mindset. And then I went around to everybody and all the teams. I said, okay, artists, show me your tools. Show me what you can do, what you can't do, you know give me some teaching here. I went to the programmers and I said, tell me what we can do and can't do. And, and I went to the other game designers and asked for their, their documents. And I got things, nothing looked like none of no two documents look the same. <laughs> wildly different. And I, and I just basically had to teach myself. And out of this, I synthesized the first game design document which which just was everything. It was the story of the game. It was all the puzzles and the riddles and everything else. It was like, here's all the, the art assets we have to create. Here's all the sound assets we have to create. Here's all the screens and maps and things we have to create. And, you know, just put it all together into a massive document. But so it was really a lot of fun. Doing adventure games for Sierra Online was, was just amazing and a lot of fun. And it was just an amazing learning process. And... Um, you know, I've since done all different kinds of, of game writing or narrative design or whatever you want to call it. And then I was at Zynga for six years, primarily as a narrative designer, trying to bring more story to their games, which was definitely a losing proposition. <laughs> Is that like the, the Mafia Wars era? Um, I The first <clears throat> the first game I worked on at Zynga was Mafia Wars 2, oh, which is where they... 
Okay. They tried to actually do it as a whole full 3D kind of game. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, game, <clears throat> game board and, you know, the whole bit and NPCs, all that kind of stuff. But that was a, quite a doomed project. <laughs> well, it is kind of crazy to me how, you know, Zynga, with, with those types of games, I think the Farmvilles of the World, the Mafia Wars, I think there are a few others that are, names are escaping me. But the whole idea with these, you know, the Facebook games, basically, as I think of them, is to separate your money from your wallet. Uh, well, and they did, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, I mean, they're free-to-play games. Yep. And the only way a free-to-play game survives uh-huh, is uh-huh. if they can monetize, if they can get money out of people. Otherwise, I mean, they can't they, make these games can't for do free, it. really yeah. for free. Somebody's got to give them some money or the games are not going to stick around. It's, I mean, it's just wild to me that, yeah. you know, the the, the message methods used from those games from you know a, a few years ago not that long ago but it's been a little bit of time uh, they're now being used by all the games everywhere because they work yeah so zynga really was at the, the 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 forefront of monetization and i'm sure that gamers might not love that but it's a very real thing that oh, needs yeah. to happen uh, because yeah, games exactly. have to make money or there are no more games mm-hmm. yeah exactly i mean that whole free-to-play realm is, is very different it's a very different animal than just designing a game and selling it for 60 bucks in a box or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, very different. How and, different? And I were, ended up working on mobile games there before I left. So it, it's, I sort of run the gamut, you know, I've worked on PC, I worked on console, I will, you know, Facebook mobile. I mean, just lots of different MMOs, you know, yeah. all different kinds of things. Yeah. That's awesome. Is it uh, easier, harder, like crafting, say like the, the Bible for Conan, the adventurer or, uh, a a game where you know you, you're sort you don't have the same kind of rails where like you can't necessarily direct the uh, um, the player as much as uh, you know something <laughs> written. Well, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot trickier. It it depends on you know how linear or non-linear they want to be with the storyline and and. Oh, I can't even imagine what it's like to write one of these like giant open world games where you can do things in any order you want, uh-huh. and all of it still has to make sense. You know, um, I'll play those games, and anytime I can find like a little thing where it's like, oh, they didn't think I, I didn't meet that character that I was supposed to meet in the first chapter of the game. <laughs> I ran right past him without talking, and now, and now their storyline has enveloped the rest of the game. But I never talked to him. I win. <laughs> I beat Fallout Four. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, game, the the story structure has to become, you know, for the the more open world it is, the more modular that that story structure has to be. And you have to take all of that into account. It's all massive questions of what if this, what if that, then this, what if this, then that. You know, I mean, it's all what if and then. Yeah. That you ask a million times and you have to deal with all the permutations and that that really is the trick to it. Yeah, it's literally a flowchart the size of the Great Wall of China. Yeah, yeah. There was one MMO I worked on where they actually bought flowcharting software and adapted it for all of the writing in the game. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> so much. Yeah, that's so much. Is that a less satisfying, like sort of a, a creative feeling or different it, it, yeah, it's just different. I mean, it's all interesting, and it's all mm-hmm. any kind of new challenge is is always interesting to me. Yeah. No, no, yeah. We now cool. we've done a besides GI Joe on on this particular show, we've talked about a lot of different 
cartoons. And I just wanted to kind of go through a list of cartoons we've talked about on this show that you have written for. Now, we didn't necessarily talk about your episodes because it's kind of a random crapshoot which episode out of the entire, you know, lexicon of this show we pick. Yeah, we'll have a guest on and sometimes sometimes have them pick a random episode. Yeah, exactly. But I just wanted to just kind of, for the people at home, a handful of shows that you, you have written for uh, and see if any of these shows kind of spark a memory or something you'd like <laughs> to talk about because they all are, are delightful children to us. <laughs> um, so the episode shows I'm talking about are Mighty Max. Loved it. Cap- oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Captain yeah. Simeon and the Space Monkeys. Oh, my God. A reboot. Beast Wars oh. Transformers. Okay. Biker Mice from Mars. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, oh, and then, of course, we've also done He-Man and Jem, uh-huh. uh, two other shows that you've uh, you've been a part of. Um, so anything of those first few, though, that really strike any chords or memories from, from your working on them? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, all of them do. I mean, it was... You know, Mighty Max, I co-wrote those two episodes with my best friend, uh, Catherine Lawrence, Mm -hmm. um, who is now gone. So a lot of, it's really weird how many, how many of these people are gone. So Captain Simeon uh, was created by my friend Gordon Bresick, and uh, he's gone, but that was also where I got to know DC Fontana, and who's just an amazing and wonderful writer. And so I'm missing a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, tra- the the transmutate was interesting because the that was pretty early days of of the CG animation. And so <laughs> oh yes, yeah. There, there were massive restrictions. You could not create any new characters. You could only <laughs> use the existing <laughs> characters. And you know, I mean, there were lots and lots of restrictions because of the, CG was so much more difficult. Yeah, then. yeah. But I came up with this idea and I thought, okay, well, how about this? We have this character that's, she's mismatched parts. So, you know, just grab different 3D pieces of various other robots Uh and just put them together (laughs) to create this this mismatched character. And luckily, uh, Larry Dottilio, another very dear friend of mine that I worked with a lot, who's also gone, um... He said he liked the idea so much that even though it broke the rules, he went ahead ahead and and got them to buy it anyway. And then the art team loved it so much that they went ahead and created a new character. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than the methodology that I thought would work and get around the restrictions, they went ahead and created um, this whole new character. So that that was really cool. Yeah, because they they only have so many assets to work with, and each new asset costs X X amount of money that they just don't either have or want to spend. Mm -hmm. So that that restriction makes a ton of sense to me, given what I've seen. Yeah, and and reboot was wonderful to work on. That I mean, it was just such a cool show, and and also the War Planets or Raiders, the Shadow Raiders, was also very very cool stuff to work on. And and I got to work on it with a lot of of, of friends of mine like Len Wein and and Marv Wolfman, and you know, really good people. Mm-hmm. And what was the other show you were talking about? Oh man, I don't have the list. Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys Captain is Simeon one of the them. Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys. We uh-huh. talked about oh, Biker Mice from Biker Mars. Mice oh, from Mars. Mars. oh, Biker yeah. Mice from Mars. Oh god. <laughs> oh, that was such a silly show. <laughs> <laughs> you know they're trying to do a reboot right now. Uh, the original voice cast of uh, oh, really? uh, Rob Paulson and oh my gosh, why am I like uh, uh, the guy from Sharknado? 
Um, Ian Ziering. Ian Ziering oh. was one of the biker mice. And then the third guy whose name I'm just completely blanking on, and I apologize to him and his family right now. <laughs> but the three of them got together and said, hey, we're here. We've got time. Let's let's put push this around to the different like oh, streaming platforms. Biker mice reboot to re because everything else is getting rebooted. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> oh God. I think I think now wasn't remind me because it's, <laughs> it's a terrible memory. Uh, I think that episode was called Rumpty Dumpster. Yep. <laughs> that is the one I'm thinking of, right? Yep. Yep. Do you you know who that character was? meant to be who was it was a parody of a real person oh oh my god it was someone that oh my god that the producer and creator of the show rick unger who uh-huh. was a new yorker mm-hmm. i see where you're going with this oh Disliked my god this particular person <laughs> and it really could be any mogul from new york <laughs> oh who could be my god. similarly sounding names <laughs> who maybe is important in the world today <laughs> <laughs> he was drawn with a rather large butt. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And that was not accidental. <laughs> oh, my gosh. oh, it never that's is. Fantastic. Right? <laughs> and I, I co wrote that one with uh, Randy Littlejohn, of course, who is my not only my co writer, but my husband. Oh, very cool. That worked out. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. He, he and I met. Um, at a, it wasn't Sierra Online anymore. It, it had evolved into a different studio called Yosemite Entertainment, but it was in the same building uh-huh. <laughs> with some of the same people. <laughs> and we were actually making a Babylon 5 game. Oh, cool. Sure. And so um, I got brought on board because I had written for Babylon 5, and they wanted someone who knew both the game design side and the Hollywood side. Uh-huh. And I was friends with, with Joe Straczynski because you know, we had worked on a number of shows together. Captain Power and then um, Twilight Zone and you know I'd known Joe for a zillion years so I was I was like the translator between the two worlds because they didn't always play well together <laughs> and and Randy was the writer on the game and so when they brought me aboard it became the two of us who were the writers on the game and we were in a little office together and one thing led to another. Oh, <laughs> that's oh, so is. awesome! So Gina, good news. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's... <laughs> the guy you share an office with. Yeah, yeah. My my writing partner, who I have no romantic interest in. <laughs> so that, that worked out nicely. I guess, yeah. I guess it doesn't work out yeah, 100% of the that's time. That's I guess is what cool. I'm learning right now. Also, Babylon 5. How cool is that? That's awesome. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> Especially because I, I, I um, hung around on the set a lot and because I, I love being on sets. I, the beginning of my career before I was a writer, I worked in TV production in the production end of things. Oh, cool. And, and, and I just love being on sets. I just, uh-huh. it's just, I enjoy it. I love it. the whole process. I love everything about it. There's something just magical <laughs> about it. Yeah, it's just such a cool process. Mm-hmm. I really love it. Yeah. Yeah, but that cool. must have been yeah more fun than most too because you you're building a a, a friggin' huge space station <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> like the entire like this yeah this enormous set that's you know like sure you could go on the set of uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine and like well you're in a police, police station, station. Yeah. 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 we have those we don't have space stations I work yeah. on Superstore so I get to hang out at a, in a grocery at a, store yeah. at a Walmart yeah. <laughs> Exciting as a space station. <laughs> they shot they shot that in what was essentially a big warehouse out in uh, where was it Santa Clarita I think, yeah. and <laughs> every time a 
plane went by overhead, we had to stop. <laughs> They'd have to stop shooting, wait for the plane to go away. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Again. Well, it's yeah. That space interference. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Uh, how involved were you with the uh, creation of Firestar? Back in Spider-Man is Amazing Friends. One of my favorite shows as a kid. Yeah, I mean, I didn't create the character, of course, but I I worked very closely with Stan Lee to create her origin story. Oh, that's awesome. And so I was I had the, the great fun of being able to come up with, with her origin story and, you know, back and forth it with Stan until we arrived at what we wanted it to be. And, and so that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is. That's awesome. Yeah. Stan was always wildly creative. The problem, the problem with Stan was he was a little bit too wildly creative. And <laughs> was, you you kind of had to wrestle him to the floor every now and then to, like, to get him to just decide on one. <laughs> one uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> who's, who's been the biggest personality that you've worked with over the years? Uh, maybe accepting Stanley. Like, <laughs> like, I feel like there's a lot of crazy people that we've heard about, especially like in animation that uh, don't get much uh, like screen time. No one oh, rec- yeah. knows like, their face, but buzz always told us how, how, what, what an interesting guy. Chris Lotta was. Didn't know him. Um, I don't know. They, I don't know. They were all really good, interesting people. Mm-hmm. Flint Dilly's a character. Oh, yes. yeah. I mean, you, you've talked to Flint. Right? Yeah, yeah, we've had yeah. him over to talk to him a I mean, few different Flint. times. <laughs> I love Flint. We were good. We've been good buddies, and but he is just such a funny character. Yeah, <laughs> he really. Is. You know, you know the phrase uh, "marches to his own beat." Um, I think yeah, that yeah. perfectly <laughs> describes Flint from our uh, our uh, um, talking to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Flint, Flint always managed to crack me up. <laughs> he, he was a lot of fun. Yeah, but Steve awesome. Steve Gerber was terrific. You know, Steve was my, the computer guru I could call up at three in the morning when I was in a panic because I was having technical issues because he, he had insomnia, he never slept. So, <laughs> you know, I could call him up at two and three in the morning and he was like, hello? <laughs> 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 yeah, please give me something to do. <laughs> um, one thing I did, because you did a lot of work with the Gem TV show. Um, and I yeah, said, we, which, talked I, about which I loved. I had before. all the all the dolls when I was little. Yeah, and, and when I was, uh, you know, when I was younger and I was really into the G.I. Joe, the Transformers, the He-Man and whatnot, I, I was not as big into Gem uh, just because, you know, it's the Midwest way I was raised. It was sort of like yeah. that show wasn't for me. Shame. But I look back at it now, and it is. It's a shame because that show is wonderful. Oh, yeah. And there are so many things to love about it. And I know they've been trying to do some reboots in the last few years. Um, uh, have you had, what's your, been your associations with that? Have they like come to you for advice or? Oh, hell no. Oh, no. <laughs> they should no. have because the movie, yeah. the movie version that they, that I think came out in maybe 2015 was not good. No. And they changed everything about the character and I was so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And I literally found out about the movie because someone at Hasbro, I think went, you know, Maybe we should let her know that we're about to announce a movie. Oh, yeah. And so like the day before they made the whole public announcement, Ah. I had a call. I got a call from someone in the, you know, Hasbro PR just to kind of let me know about this. You know, out of respect. uh, Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't think respect had anything to do with it. But um, 
So no, I, I really, I, I did end up becoming friends with John Chu, the director, and because um, he did, call, he called me up, and we had a, you know, I had a conversation. I, I tried to give him advice. Sure. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, did, did he call you in tears because it wasn't working? You know, I, about the elements that I thought he needed to keep, but the uh, problem was that he already had the script. They were already shooting. Uh, yeah. Oh boy. So, there really yeah. wasn't anything to do about it at that point. Yeah, I was very excited when it was announced. And then when they said, oh, but she's she's going to just sort of be a normal <laughs> girl who's who gets sort of famous on YouTube, I, I was out. <laughs> yeah, it was just like gender swapping Justin Bieber. I mean, Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. It had none of the magic of the original. And and just a few months ago, I was, I was cleaning my apartment and I, I put on gem in the background thinking oh i will i i've seen these also i won't get sucked into them <laughs> and needless to say two hours later my apartment was not clean i sat down and just watched them <laughs> well and, and this is maybe the lesson for all of the uh, uh hollywood producers obviously listening right now is yeah. uh, all you have to do is to recreate the magic of the old property that you claim to want to do because you're doing it is don't do your own thing with it. Just find what worked about the original yeah. and just do that again. Yeah, like, or, or go to the original writers and ask for their advice. For example, you know, <laughs> the G.I. Joe live action movies oh. uh, didn't work for a variety of reasons, but one is they just, like, they kept messing with the core of who these characters were mm-hmm. and turning them into something else. And it's just, you don't have to think that hard about it. If you just come out and present us the thing we already want to love, yeah, we will love it. Follow the blueprint. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure why it's so hard to learn that lesson. You yeah. know, that it does seem to be. I mean, the, the reason why it was so big to begin with is because it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there? <laughs> is there a property that uh, you would like to uh, see get rebooted that you've? you uh had a hand in in the past something that i've worked on in the past or yeah that you would like to see happen again or Besides even work on it from mars obviously we've talked about <laughs> I, mean, I, I did go back to hasbro you know years later and try to talk them into doing a rebooted gem and i just i couldn't get anywhere with them oh <laughs> I, I i there's still i still know a lot of gem fans oh yeah in fact i'm going there's you know there is a gem con that happens every year. Uh-huh. Oh, awesome. You know, so I will be at this next one, which is in August. Yeah, there's still uh, every every Halloween. I always see a few gems still. <laughs> a few, yeah, so a I, few will, I will be there. Up. I'll be there at GemCon. People can look up GemCon and, um, you know, maybe they'll show up. That'd yeah, be <laughs> yeah, very cool. Where where is that? Uh, where is it this year? Minneapolis. Oh, cool. Very I cool. Think. I'm <laughs> terrible. I should know by now. <laughs> you only need to know when you get on the plane. That's yeah, really the yeah, only right. time that's important. <laughs> know when to get off. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Jen, how do you think planes work, Chan? Yeah, he thinks they're like buses, <laughs> I, just, apparently. Can you please? I pulled the cord. Could the plane please stop in Minneapolis? <laughs> I have business here. Who can afford a plane? Jesus. <laughs> So, um, Christy, what do you, what do you, I mean, like, what are you doing now? I mean, uh, uh, do you have any projects you're allowed to talk about right now? Or are you just sort of uh, uh, hanging out and enjoying stuff? <laughs> well, uh, you may not have heard about this, but um, we lost our home in the campfire. Oh, no. Oh, no. We, li- we lived in Megalia. And um, so we lost our home and we lost 
everything that was in our home. Oh my goodness, like, we did not hear about that. All, all of my original paper copies of scripts, oh, every scrap of paper I ever no. had, all of my comics and graphic novels. I and feel like I just got punched in the gut for you. Yeah, that's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, um, uh, Peter Ledger's original art, oh. other original art. I mean, everything, you know, it's gone. So we spent about a year just in the aftermath of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, homeless for a while, obviously, and then going through the whole settlement process and then trying to figure out, well, where do we want to live now? And uh -huh. then finding another, find, you know, finding a new home. And so we, we're in a new home and, you know, settling in and, and just kind of, coming to terms with how different life is now, you know, yeah, that's it's, really, it's, it's hard to even express what it's like starting over again with, yeah. with another. We saved, we saved our six cats. Oh, that's well, okay. Good. good. Okay. You know, we had six cats. We got them into carriers. We had a Subaru Impreza. So by the time we got the six cats in it, there wasn't room for much else. Oh, <laughs> so, man. You know, so we, so, and it's, it just, it takes you by surprise often. You just don't even realize all the things that are missing. And yeah, it takes sure. a long time really to come to terms with that. Man. But what I'm, what I'm actually contractually working on at the moment is I, uh, several years back, I wrote a book called Writing for Animation, Comics, and Games. Oh, cool. It's a very nuts and bolts craft book about working in the, the three media and, and what you need to know to write. It's not how to write, uh -huh. but it's what you need to know to be able to write, you know, script formats and all kinds of other ins and outs and details and so forth. So the important stuff that nobody else will talk about. <laughs> yeah, all that kind of good stuff. So um, I was in the process of re doing a second edition, a revised and updated second edition and uh, when the fire happened. And oh, so... Oh. I kind of, you know, lost a year to that. So I've, I'm back in that process of um, completing the second edition of that mm -hmm. book. And, and I'm up the game section especially has to be vastly updated because it was before I had worked in mobile games. And mobile games are now just huge. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I, I need to add an awful lot of new material that deals with the special realities of, of writing for mobile games and so forth. So I'm working on that particular revision. And I had also, also back before the live action movie came out, in fact, I started working on a memoir about my life as a writer up to and about creating Gem and the Holograms. Cool. And, and I, you know, I'd gotten partway into that, but I just... It was hard, you know, working at Zynga and also was doing some writing for DC Comics at the same time. I just, I did not get it done. So I still want to get back to it um, and complete it, you know, get that work done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the video game industry does not leave you a lot of time to do much anything else. <laughs> yeah. That I can speak it, yeah. to from personal experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's very true. And what's, can people find that first edition of your book? Can they find it on Amazon if they, if any of our listeners want to buy it or? Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's still available. Okay, great, great. Absolutely. So everybody buy this book mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> just in general. Yeah. <laughs> buy five copies and give it to everyone you know. <laughs> yeah. And it'll, it'll, you know, teach you about animation writing, teach you about comic book writing. Yeah. Teach you about game writing. And That's I need to know, cool. see, I, I actually, you know, personally, I, I, I'm, this is of fascinating interest to me because Gina won't tell me. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I have only, I, I, I worked on a couple of animated shows and I sold a graphic novel, but 
<laughs> she won't. She won't tell me but how. I, I give none of my secrets to Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking for script format. She's like, no, and then she slaps me. It's very upsetting. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, anything else you'd like to mention? I mean, thank you so much for being a yeah, part of the show. I mean, we love to, like great. I say, besides the book, if there's anything else you want to plug, like uh, we're just so overjoyed that you've taken some time for us. Yeah, we know about we know about GemCon. We'll we'll give our listeners some uh, info on that yeah, on, we'll our, on that. our Facebook page, and we'll tell them about your book. Is there yeah? Is there anything else you'd like to mention? Yeah, no, those are the only things I'm really working on at the moment. Okay, cool. There, there was one thing we didn't touch upon mm-hmm. regarding the um, the Deke G.I. Joe episode. Uh, well, yes, I'd love yes. to hear all about it, please. <laughs> because one of the restrictions for those episodes was how many voices you could use. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Oh, we did not and know that. If, if you if you look at the number of voices... Mm-hmm. Which I'm actually I'm looking at. I've actually pulled up my original outlines and so oh, forth, where, I, where, oh, wow. the, where the voices are listed. So for Mind Mangler, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten voices, and this for Biok, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm noticing a trend now. <laughs> about six of those are all that air team, you know? Yeah. The sky, the sky guy. Sky team, Patrol. Right? Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they would only let me have 10 voices. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> and so they, there's like, okay, you have to use these six characters. But you can only have 10 voices. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What a nightmare. <laughs> so that was probably the most difficult part about writing these scripts was I could only have 10 people talk. <laughs> yeah. like, this explains a heck of a lot because we've noticed in the Deke era, yes. lots of times there will be very major characters, you know, the Sergeant Slaughters, the Dukes. Uh, yes, uh, just but they standing do in not the background speak. who they, do not say yeah, anything. They don't talk, and it's actually more noticeable that they're in the scene at all, right. not talking, than if they had just <laughs> left them out of the scene. Yeah, if Sergeant Slaughter's in a scene, we assume he's about to take that scene over. Yeah, and so to talk. see him just stand in the background, just being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, yep, <laughs> <laughs> just listening okay, is there weird. There you go. Now, now you know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fa- that's oh, crazy. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now that you've got the I'll just keep I'll keep prying now that you have those uh, scripts open I mean uh, is there any other gems to share from in there like I'm I'm look you as soon as you said I'm looking at the the, the pieces right now yeah which my very, eyes got very about cool the very size cool. of dinner plates yeah <laughs> yeah I'm not looking at the scripts I just I just quickly pulled open oh, okay. like the, out, the outline oh of the, the outlines premise, okay uh-huh, just uh-huh. so I could see the the how many of the voices there were oh that's so yeah funny. that's that's interesting that makes a lot of sense now yeah because we always wondered, well, why is Lady J in this scene and not saying anything? <laughs> <laughs> and, and really, to a greater uh, horror that I now think about it, why were they not using snake eyes at all? You'd think he'd be, <laughs> you'd think he'd be ideal with the fact he doesn't speak ever. That's a good point. That's, that's a good point. That's true. That's a good I don't point. think we've seen him a single time in all of the Deke series. Yeah, he has not been in. You'll, in... Notice, you'll notice that the Sky Patrol is in both of these episodes. Yes. So yeah. kind of handed me those characters and, you know, yeah. had me go with them. But, but I couldn't believe that they were like, okay, we want you to use all of these characters, but 
you can only have 10 voices. Yeah, yeah, what a nightmare. See, oh you better gosh. find your voice in Sky Patrol because they're about to take over the episode. Uh, exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, uh, I don't have any other questions. I mean, uh, if you yeah, guys have anything more, great. but this Thank was so really, much. really great. And I really appreciate that you took some time, like I say, to, to talk to us. Um, and I'm, I know the people at home are getting a real kick out of it. So, yeah. uh, Christy, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Absolutely. I'm very happy to do it. Yeah, thank you. Oh, so thank much. God. Usually they're kicking and screaming by the end. So. <laughs> no, Buzz, Buzz loves it. Buzz loves coming on and talking. That's true. That's true. Uh, do you have any like uh, social media or uh, uh, anything else you want us to link to? Um, I've got a Twitter account. I've got an Instagram account. Um, okay. What's the uh, Twitter account? I think it's just, what is it? Just christymarks.com, uh, christy.marks, I think. Cool. And Instagram, or is that Instagram? I can't keep oh, track. Verified, <laughs> look at that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll, There's a blue we'll, check, you're we'll good. We'll find it and then we'll... I don't we'll... know, I'm there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yours, yours is the uh, the Twitter account with the cat profile picture, yes? Oh, yes, exactly. fantastic. And I have just found it and I am now following you. So. Yep, yep. That is my cat Zoe. Oh, Zoe. We are we are all we are all cat people. We have a cat podcasting with us on the couch right now. Yeah, there was a cat interacting with us the entire time we were talking with you. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I also do on Facebook. I also do a moggy blog um, about my cats. Oh, yeah. cool. Oh my gosh. It's M O G G Y B L O G the moggy blog. Oh, very cool. Very yeah. cool. You can see all my cats there. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Yes, I also... And yeah. see, my Instagram account is christy.marks. Okay, great. And you see Zoe in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. Oh, okay. yep, yep. I'm yep. following that, that too. That, now. Yeah. That is Zoe begging for chicken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so cute. Oh, time I have chicken. She's just like, give me chicken. Oh yeah. This is this oh is my gosh. kind of Instagram. It's mostly animal pics, so this is my favorite kind <laughs> yeah, of Instagram Gina's account. Be following you and literally <laughs> nothing else. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, thank you again so much. For doing this, uh, and there's all, and you found my Facebook clubhouse, uh, the Christy Marks clubhouse page on yeah. Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I have it, so I'm going to do that right now. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I found it. I was like, "Well, is this is this one of those uh, pages that hasn't been uh, updated in like six years?" I'm like, "Oh no, this is like February 8th. Awesome." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very I put cool. stuff there once in a while, and I I'm plan- I've created a Patreon page, but I haven't really completed it yet i haven't gotten it all put together so i haven't been promoting it just yet but um nice yeah when you do let us know and then, and yeah. then we'll post about it oh, yeah i want to i'm now i'm now following all of the things yeah same Sorry, same I'm just, i got my head down on my phone hurriedly trying to get these things yeah yep same <laughs> yep christy marks clubhouse and on twitter and on instagram yes very cool very cool i love it um, well, uh, Christy, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And, and for everybody else, have a beautiful night. I have no nothing else. To <laughs> I just end it there. Just end, Let, it there. end it there. Okay, <laughs> bye. <laughs> Cross the line of fire. Go, 
keep a grip and let the hold on tight. You got to do the fighting with all of your might. You got to keep the target straight ahead on your side. Hello, dear listeners. Do you enjoy playing video games with your best friends? Then I have the pod for you. I'm Philip, host of the Gaming Together, a cooperative podcast. Each week, my co-host Nave and I break down a cooperative experience in gaming. And we are always looking for new co-op partners to join us. So come play with us on the Gaming Together podcast. So I'm standing over this toilet taking a piss and I'm playing my Pokemon and I dropped it in the toilet. I remember the Game Boy just tumbling in the water. And I remember screaming for my mom trying to get this Game Boy. Wait, how old are you? And she yelled at me. She yelled at me. And oh I was my just, god. Like, traumatized. I was like, no, my, my Pokemon. That's Gaming Together, a cooperative podcast. Come on down, co op partners.